All right, so uh, leaning into cutting room floor again. Uh, one of the things that we couldn't get into uh, this last weekend, or you couldn't get into in First uh, Samuel 16, was this uh, sort of moment, right? And it's this moment that is very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, textually, it's something like God sends an evil spirit. Yeah. On Saul, I don't. You want to tease out totally. like the context a little bit, for sure. Just so people, yeah. So like right up to that point. So the primarily most of chapter sixteen of First Samuel is that semi-famous story of uh, David and is anointed as king, is chosen as king yeah. to be the essentially replace Saul. Yeah. In that moment, God looks at the heart. Yeah, God looks at the heart. Beautiful passage. Yeah. Towards the very end of that particular narrative section, there's a line that talks about the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord coming upon David and essentially God's spirit, the Holy spirit is empowering David into this new role. Mm -hmm. And then the story transitions immediately right after that and talks about how God then sends an evil spirit upon Saul because Saul up until this point is in this moment of, he's had a couple moments of complete disobedience to what God has commanded. Uh, What you're going to continue to see on also in that chapter 16 narrative is that Saul's jealousy of David is going to begin to increase more and more. And so you get lines as the story progresses. David has slain his ten thousands, and Saul only his thousands. Yeah. And Saul is in this moment of like, oh my goodness, everyone's starting to love David more. Yeah. And I'm becoming less and less popular. And embedded right within that narrative in First Samuel sixteen verse fifteen is again that line that that says something to the effect of the Lord sent an evil spirit upon Saul. Okay. Now this isn't the only time that this happens. For in in the Bible in the Bible and even in Saul's own story. Okay. So in Unfortunately for Saul, it's actually one of three times that this mm. happens between chapter 16 and 19. And in the rest of the Bible, how many times does it happen? There's two more other times, at least I'm aware of. So in judge, the Bible. In the Bible, so yes. Paul, Saul gets it three. Saul gets it three. So Saul's like the... He's for, the epicenter. Yeah, he's like the example par excellence, which you don't want to be an example for. Yeah, this, is in this, this is not what we want to be an example for. <laughs> yeah. But at the, what we're trying to get at here is that... To because we want to basically ask the question: Is God sending evil spirits yeah. upon His own people? Yeah. Like that would really throw our view off of God. Yeah. And I think it's a legitimate question that we yeah. really need to take seriously, based on the text yeah. um, and wrestle with. Kind of reminds me back in the Exodus narrative uh, with Pharaoh. For Pharaoh, yeah. And the hardening of God, heart. hardening like, Pharaoh's. This is uncomfortable. This is and not then it happens again. Yes. And then it happens. I don't know. I don't know how for much sure. God hardens hearts through the rest of the Bible. I haven't counted. Yeah. But, he seems like the epicenter there. Exactly, for sure. And I think there is some connection, even though the language of hardening hearts is not used in particular with Saul, yeah. the theological concept of God initiating something that seems to be very negative and unfair and yeah. like not you know helpful for Saul yeah. and not helpful for Pharaoh, I think there's vast similarities, okay. which we'll get to in a little bit okay. here as far as how to understand this. So textually in 1 Samuel, you have this guy named Saul who doesn't really want to be king, ends up being king. Mm-hmm. He's on this ascending yeah. sort of narrative. And then he makes some choices. Yeah. The burnt offering. Yes. Uh, then he makes a monument to himself. Yes. He like is told very clearly not to take stuff. From the Amalekites. From the Amalekites. Yeah, yeah. He does. And yes. he lies about it. And so it's like, okay, he was ascending. Now he's descending. He's- and then right after that, you have a new king anointed. Yes. Who's ascending. Who's ascending. Yeah. And then right after that, you have this evil spirit. Evil spirit, yeah. And it's in that moment throughout that that the jealousy of Saul is only going to increase in that. And Saul becomes, for lack of a better term, just more and more crazy and dangerous to David. So, But at least before the evil spirit's sent, you already have Saul making choices. Like he's building a monument to himself. Totally. He's clearly like off track. Yes, and I think that's important because what ends up happening oftentimes in in a 
tricky passage like this is that we just like, oh my goodness, the text says God sent evil spirit. And we forget the broader narrative context of what's happening. Okay. Saul, like you mentioned, is already on this path yeah. of rebelling and not going the way of God. Okay. And so I think that's big picture. That's really important. Get okay. the narrative context. Yeah. Another thing though, if we're going to also big picture, get the narrative context, I think number two, we also want to zoom in and look at kind of like double click this word evil. Mm. Like what exactly okay, yeah, are we yeah, talking good. about? And so it is the, yeah, the when I think evil, I think like murderer. Yeah, exactly. Like is God sending, you know, when I say when I, when I say this and even think about it and read it, when I hear that line, God sent the evil spirit, it sounds like to me, God is sending like a demon. Yeah. And like, willingly and wanting to yeah, like, send a demon go get him go get him right and like god's vindictive god is out to get saul and it's yeah this, but let's the, unpack so yeah evil spirit what do we do with yes that? evil spirit so the hebrew word is raw and okay. we've talked about this a little bit yeah. in throughout our old testament so tove and raw tove and raw so back to good and evil the tree yeah. of knowledge of good and evil or, or good, good and, and bad, bad which yeah. i think is a better way and we've talked about that a better way to talk about or not talk about translate that word yeah. raw because the Hebrew word raw, which is, again, a lot of times translated as evil, as it is here in our uh, English translation, yeah. this is the ESV where I'm kind of primarily working from, yeah. that sense of evil in English often has like moral yeah. philosophical components. Yeah. So like, again, when you read evil ethically, spirit, like, ethically, yeah, yeah. that spirit itself yeah. is ethically evil yeah. and is intending to do more evil yeah. as it goes about. Yeah. The word raw in Hebrew kind of has a broader like semantic range, a broader okay. like bucket, if you will. Okay. And so it can also be translated disastrous or mm. harmful or even simply bad. Hmm. Uh, kind of an interesting idea behind this is that it, to get that to this point where the raw word doesn't necessarily mean like moral or ethical evil. Hmm. An example of this. So maybe is, that could be like a subset. Of a what subset it means, of what raw it's is. Not the totality. Not the totality. Exactly. Right? And one example of this is in Jeremiah 24, in the context is a little bit kind of hard to wrap our heads around a little sure. bit in kind of a short time. But essentially, it's is after King Nebuchadnezzar deports Israel uh, to Babylon. Okay. And you're talking, it, it, there's this prophecy about like good figs and bad figs that are in the temple of the Lord, okay. kind of depicting like the future state of Israel. Yeah. In, are we in, talking raw figs? Exactly. <laughs> yes. And so this is the and point. not R-A-W. Yeah, not R-A-W. <laughs> not raw figs. Yes, exactly. Not like raw, like Un you can't uncooked. eat them. Uncooked. Yes. Which I always think of like, because I don't even know what figs look like. I always just think of fig newtons every time I... But yeah, that's but probably, that's what, probably they what they were thinking of or looking at. <laughs> probably not, actually. But the text in Jeremiah 24 in the first, I don't know, three to, three, to, three to five verses talks about good figs and bad figs. And it's translated in English oftentimes as simply bad figs. But it's the word for raw in, in describing those figs. Mm. And so that's when you kind of look at the text, the narrative there, it's clearly not talking about evil like figs. evil figs. Like they have yeah, pitchforks and they're out to get this. Yeah. They're just, it's, it's a way of describing something that's unpleasant mm. or something that's has come to this place of not being good any yeah, longer. Like a rotten fig. Like a rotten fig. And so there's the parallels, you know, right there. Yeah. And so kind of when you come back then to 1 Samuel 16 and recognize, okay, this word has a broader kind of range and you kind of put together some of the other things throughout scripture of like, how is, what's God's involvement with evil and how God mm. works through some of those things. It does seem like there's an interpretive option on the table that would advocate for something along these lines, that what we're reading about here is when God sends a quote evil spirit, that that spirit itself doesn't necessarily have to be morally or ethically evil in that moment. But because the larger narrative of where Saul has come from and where he's going, the effect that that spirit has on Saul is the the effect of bringing about Ra in his in Saul's own life. Hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So this we're like going back to Exodus. Like Pharaoh has already decided, I'm not going to concede. Mm -hmm. And then it says, 
God hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart. heart. Yes, and even in the narrative of the ten plagues, which is yeah. what we're talking about here, the scholars will point out that the first half or so of those times where it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened yeah. is that Pharaoh was the one hardening his heart, mm. and then it's after the sixth plague that it's the the subject of the verb harden is God Himself doing the action. Got it. And so it's kind of this idea when you kind of parallel <laughs> that with. Romans chapter one talking about when Paul says that God hands people over yeah. to their sinful desires. Yeah. And so it's, that's like one of the, that's the frame of wrath. Wrath. Exactly. So yeah. Romans one where wrath is used yes. almost more than anywhere else. Yes. Uh, the primary frame is wrath is when God gives someone yes. over to the desires of their sinful desires, sinful of, desires of, of their, of their own, own heart. Yeah. Their own heart, their own choosing. And so people will make the case, and I think there's a lot of credibility to this, is what's happening in the book of Exodus when God hardening Pharaoh's heart is exactly what Paul is talking about on a theological level in Romans chapter 1, that God is handing Pharaoh over to the path he's already going on, the path that he's already chosen yeah. of hardening God's his heart. And that's wrath or judgment. Yes, that is God's wrath or judgment on Pharaoh. Yeah. Now, kind of take a step back or step forward, I guess, to the book of Samuel. Something very similar mm. theologically could be happening here. Saul is already on this path of yeah. disobedience, going his own way. The jealousy is increasing. Yeah. And so when God sends an evil spirit, based on the fact that evil or raw has a broader range than his moral, physical evil, yeah. the intended or the, the effect that's happened to Saul because of who, where he's at, is that there's now raw in his life. Yeah. And it's going to lead Saul to very... Increasing raw. Increasing raw. It's, it's going to lead Saul to this place of just complete like insanity, where he's doing things to David in particular that are very just disturbing and very harmful yeah. uh, to David himself. Okay. Now, I think that's kind of one way of reading at the text. I think just maybe it would be helpful also to you know look at, okay, what are some ways that we can, uh, how can I more clearly articulate different buckets of how this passage might be interpreted? So maybe like that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. What you're saying is theologians, scholars, maybe have three or four different exactly, ways yes. that you could look at this, could and look, that's one of them. If one of them, yeah. And so the one I just articulated right there, I, I don't really come up with these names, but like the Pharaoh view okay. of this. So because it's it's paralleling or at least trying to parallel the narrative of the book of Exodus, yeah. where it starts off with human decision going their own way, yeah. God handing that person over to the path they're already choosing yeah. for themselves. That's what I basically just tried to articulate okay. right there. There's another view that, would again, for lack of a better term, is would be something like the Job view or the divine counsel view, hmm. which kind of requires us to kind of think about briefly the book of Job. And so you have the opening scene in the book of Job where the Hasatan, the Satan, comes into the, the throne room of God and kind of accuses God of, like, look at Job. He's only you're good and nice. It easy yeah, on you, yeah. You're, it's only because you're generous to him that he's good. And so what ends up happening is that essentially in this reading, God essentially gives Satan a leash. And allows Job or allows Satan to do things harmful to Job. And what's happening in that narrative, it seems like, is that God isn't the one like sending Satan per se, but God is allowing yeah. Satan to do X, Y, or Z that's yeah. really negative to Job. Yeah. And perhaps something similar is happening when God sends an evil spirit in First Samuel 16. That God is allowing a malevolent, you know, harmful spirit to do what this malevolent, harmful spirit would probably do anyway. Yeah. But it's on God's sort of prerogative, it's sort of within God's yeah. like parameters, so yeah. to speak. And that God sets the boundaries, God sets the limits, God's the one who's establishing these sorts yeah. of things. It's not just kind of willy-nilly for the evil spirit. Yeah. Um, but for lack of a better term, it's like the evil spirit's on a leash that God has allowed to yeah. play itself out. Well, and I think in Job 1, there, part of the frame is testing. Yes, totally, yes. So like, will Job resist? Yes. What will Job do? So there's some sense maybe with this 
leash view. Yes. Yeah. View, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that there's like a testing element. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's you like, have like Pharaoh. Yes. Then you have divine counsel. Yes. Leash view. Yeah. These are really technical terms yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can tell. Um, the last one is be something for lack of a better term again, like the Shakespeare view, which kind of broadly speaking is this idea of how God controls the world or doesn't control the world. And the idea of Shakespeare is that like the play has been written mm. by Shakespeare. Everything's been predetermined and the players within the play are just doing what has already been written from the very beginning. Yeah. So in this moment, looking at first Samuel 16 is that God has a degree of control where God is the one initiating and orchestrating this evil spirit because it's been predetermined within the narrative of Saul's life, for example. Yeah. And so this, it, I don't want right, to care. Day 43 of Saul's life, yes. like he's going to eat grape nuts in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And then in the afternoon, it's like, here you go. This is, totally, this is what's going to happen. Okay. And I don't want to like caricature that view too much because I think there's really smart people that hold to something along those lines, like a meticulous yeah. providence kind of yeah. view where God is the one orchestrating every single event and to the degree that it's basically, again, it's not trying to caricature, but for just helpful analogies, like a puppet master mm -hmm. orchestrating the different pieces on the, on the chessboard, so mm -hmm. to speak, to do exactly what God wants in that, in just a brief defense of that, what that view would also want to also affirm is that Saul is completely responsible for his actions. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of a, something called compatibilism where you hold a high view or a, a view of like God's like control that's very meticulous and also at the same time hold a view that humans are still responsible for their own sinful choices. So kind of a brief aside with that. But to kind of quickly summarize, you have like the Job-ish view yep. where it's like the council, council, someone's on a leash, so to, so to speak. You have kind of the Shakespeare view, the kind of a higher degree of control, mm -hmm. um, still responsible for sin. And then the kind of like the Pharaoh view where there's God handing this person over to their own choices yep. in the direction they were kind of already going. Yep. And again, there's a lot to kind of think about and unpack there. But I do think it's important that kind of what we're saying here is kind of, again, take a step back, broader context of the narrative where Salt yeah. is, where he's, where he has been, where he's going. Kind of also think about like this idea of raw or evil. It's really, again, in our English translations to get thrown off when we see God sends an evil spirit. But it, you just kind of look at, okay, how is that word used elsewhere throughout yeah. scripture? And you see the broader range yeah. of potential kind of meanings behind that. I think it kind of leads itself to, okay, maybe something else is going on here besides God just sending an evil demon to yeah. torment Saul. Yeah. That perhaps there's more going on in the narrative than than we might initially think. Yeah, so. no, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. It gives us sort of ways to approach these complex texts. Totally. And what I hear you saying is there are faithful Christians who are mm -hmm. really smart totally. who disagree on this. They disagree on this, yeah. And it's, and it's yeah, because it opens itself up to, not that we're going to go into this right now, but all sorts of questions on God and the problem of evil, yeah. God's control over situations like this, God's involvement. Um, why wouldn't God, you know, why would God do something like this? All these legitimate <laughs> questions. But again, to your point and, and to close here is that really smart people who love the scriptures, who are being faithful to the text are trying to do their best to kind of get at what exactly is happening in a passage like this. It's cool. Thanks, yeah. man.